What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippos here on Bob Weichel. Early, early, early on a Friday morning following the Phillies game for victory over the Atlanta Braves. And uh, I don't know about you, but we, uh, we're feeling it over here this morning a little bit, Anthony. I, we were talking before the show, everybody listening here, and uh, I just asked Anthony, I said, do you are you a coffee guy? He said, not really. And then I asked him, do you have a cocaine habit? Because I have, I have no idea. <laughs> I really, the alarm, the alarm went off this morning and I'm like, Oh man, we're going to do this show for the people, but my God hurt a little yeah. bit right now. Yeah. I, I'd be honest. I hit snooze a couple times, like in, in frustration this morning, but that, Hey, you know, we do it because the people want, you know, want to hear our opinions and uh, want to hear our takes on, on this team. And, you know, we've been we've been pretty spot on with this team, Bob. So I think uh, we, I don't know. I feel like I, I predicted this series. I, I feel yeah, like I well. went spot on up until this series. I feel like I predicted the series incorrectly about eight yeah. times uh, as it went along here. So yeah, yeah, we you know look our initial our initial predictions were Braves in five. That was our initial predictions, and we yeah. both said we hope we're wrong. But if you go back and listen to that whole ep- that episode when we talked about it, we we also said that this is this is the one team that can beat Atlanta, and they have a they there is a path to it. And we talked we talked about that path how many times leading up yeah. to before they even got into the playoffs, like right? not you know not even not even like before the Marlins was over, before the playoffs even happened, we talked about the path that the Phillies had to to beating the Braves, and man, they took it. They, they might have been a couple diversions along the way that, that we didn't see coming, and a lot of that had to do with how the bullpen was deployed. Um, but they they took that path, and and they they uh, they eviscerated Atlanta, Bob. Braves only scored eight runs in four games. Like, the Phillies figured them out. And I don't know when it happened, where it happened, if there was some kind of aha moment in in preparation for the series, or if they knew all along, but they figured out this his, this historic in quotes Braves offense, and 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 pretty much beat them to a pulp. If it wasn't for one stupid little late rally in the second game, they they should have swept them. Yeah, it was a thorough domination. I mean, there's just uh, really no other way to say it. You know, you think about the uh, Eagles Super Bowl run back in 2017, and you had that game against the Falcons at home, and you had a couple balls bounce your way. Like, it, you had to kind of grind it out. Like, this series was just they, – they pummeled this Braves team. Like, there was no fluke here. There was no, hey, we took down the better team, but we needed an act of God to do it. I mean, the Phillies – destroyed this Braves team this week. They they truly did in all facets of the game. I thought they were outmanaged. Uh, I thought that they were certainly out hit. I thought they were outpitched. Uh, from an energy and focus and concentration standpoint, I, I thought that it was no contest. You saw what happened last night, a couple of the tweets as the game started to progress. Spencer Strider wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. He gives up three runs in five and two-thirds innings, but you saw his frustration start to boil over at the end of the game when he was yelling into his glove. And, I mean, listen, that's to be expected. I don't think that that's anything outside the, the you know typical realm of what you would anticipate for a guy who didn't really deliver the way he wanted to. But then you see Orlando Garcia. It was very clear that the, the Phillies fans had gotten to him. I mean, he looked like an absolute clown in the middle of the game in the dugout yapping at the fans. 
Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. doesn't talk to the media after the game last night. Like it was very clear that the Phillies not only just destroyed that team on the field, but they had just wiped them emotionally clean as well. I mean, it was uh, it was a, a, a just a dominant, dominant effort uh, all week, really all week. And this was the correct result. You know, we can talk about the schedule. We can talk about the format, disadvantages, advantages. Bottom line for me is that you have a great offense. It didn't perform. You matched up Spencer Strider, your boy, the big bad Spencer Strider, two times against Ranger Suarez, the Phillies' number three starter, and you couldn't beat him. And that's on you, Atlanta. And, uh, you know, Phillies have to feel great about what they've got going on right now. Yeah. I mean, this is – I don't know, Bob, if we – again, we talk about the things that we've said on this show before many times, and we've said that this series – would determine for at one point we said it was just going to be determining who goes to the world series but um i think it was two weeks ago or two up you know we do so many episodes now during the playoffs it's, it's hard to remember exactly when um but we said that whoever wins this series will win the world series uh, i'm i'm there like I, I didn't think that last year i mean you know they when they upset the Braves, we were like, "Wow, that was a pleasant surprise." And then they went ahead and you know, well, we liked them against the Padres. Okay, great. And in the World Series, we didn't, you know, we took Houston because we kind of knew Houston was the best team. I, I'm looking at it now, and I know Houston's still possibly in the way. You got to get through the Diamondbacks first. I'm not looking past them. You might see Houston. You might see Texas. Both of those teams very good. Um, both those teams big money, veteran laden teams. I, I don't care. I think that there's something yeah. about this Phillies team right now that you see and you feel and you know, like this is their year. They would need some kind of complete loss of mojo or major injury or something to derail it. And that, any of that stuff can still happen. But I mean, I, I look at it and say they're eight wins away. They're going to get those eight wins. Well, I mean, the one thing you do have to worry about is that they have they have three days off, and I mean you, you can't play baseball after you have a few days off. I mean that's one thing I definitely learned this week. So, uh, listen, Phillies are actually a minus one sixty two favorite in game one. I assume that it'll be, I, I guess. I mean every both teams can reset their rotations the way that they want to. I would assume that it's going to be Gallon Wheeler in game one. Used to his own Zach Gallon. Can't wait for that storyline to be jammed down our throat now that everybody's paying attention. Um, they, they have two Philly guys there, Christian Walker, Marstown, yeah, right? Well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, and then for the series, though, Phillies are minus 170 favorite. Right now, World Series odds. Astros do have the best odds to win the World Series. It's plus 185 at DraftKings, Phillies plus 210. And while I do not think that the Astros are better than the Phillies this time around, and I agree with the point that you just made that there's something about this team, they're going to do it. I agree with that. Um, I get why the Astros would be favored in this scenario. You're talking about a team that just happens to be in this spot every year. And I think. You know, they're the defending champions, so I think you have to kind of give them the benefit of the doubt in terms of setting the odds. So talking about this game last night, and there's so much to unpack about the entire series and, and what we liked and maybe some things that, that might concern you moving forward. I, I don't really think there's many at the moment. In fact, some of the things that I thought were somewhat frustrating about this NLDS series, I sort of expect to, to kind of see corrected next week mm-hmm. uh but i don't know where how you how you don't start with with nick castellanos um it's so funny if you go back and if you've been listening to the show throughout the course of the year we've talked about him so much you know 
can he can he bounce back from 22? Where's that guy that we thought this team had signed from an offensive standpoint? Where, where's he been? And he gets off to a good start. The batting average is good, but the power's not there. He's not making like an, an extra base hit impact. And as the season went along, you started to look up and say, like, okay, he's like he's around 30 home runs. He he's hitting about 275, 280 for this team. He doesn't walk, but okay, that's okay. Like the extra base hits, they were there this season. But it was always like a hot, cold thing, you know, like, well, if you just get him in that right stretch, he's dangerous. But man, when it's not going well, it's not going well. Well, I'll tell you what, he might just be in one of those stretches right now. Maybe it's that. But I thought what we saw this week was just consistent excellence. Like, I know we're only talking about these past three games, really, but everything. There was no dinks and dunks. There was no broken bat base hits. There was no one home run and five strikeouts. It's not like he made a, a key contribution, but then was otherwise quiet. It was every time he stepped into the batter's box, he was an absolute menace. Righty, left. It did not matter. I mean, you're talking about, for the first time ever, a Major League Baseball player hitting multiple home runs in back-to-back postseason games, which, <laughs> I don't know, I get, did you see the on-field exchange on TBS after the game with Matt Weiner? Absolutely true. Is there a question? Is there a question in there? Vintage Nick Castellanos, man. Uh, but you have that that part of the equation. I said to you last night, the one thing that that I'm looking at that I'm just like, this is kind of nerdy. But like the last three nights, the last three games, I should say, he put ten balls in play with exit velos over 95 miles per hour. Seven of them were over 100 miles per hour. He literally mashed everything that he saw for three consecutive games. And they were the most important three games of the entire season. It was an unbelievable performance by that guy. He slugged over a thousand in that series. Not OPS. His slugging was over a thousand. His OPS was fourteen hundred, I think it was, right? Which is which is absurd. He slugged over a thousand against the Braves. Dude, he hit more home runs against the Braves in this series than the Braves hit as a team. They're yeah. historic offense, man. Can like. I can't wait to not hear that anymore. Right. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, he was just, he, he truly took the game over and it, it's also the context of how it happened. It's, it's not like he hit two home runs in situations where the game was well out of reach or, you know, Hey, that's cool. Great job. It's more of like a pile on. I know his one was in, in game in game three, but the first one is ties the game up. It puts all the energy back into the stadium early. Same deal last night. Phillies fall behind. You're kind of like, I thought the crowd brought it from start to finish. Like, I didn't think that, whereas in game three, I do think that they were kind of on their hands a little bit early on. And it took that that Phillies explosion to kind of get them rolling. That crowd last night from 7.30 p.m. onward, from the time mm-hmm. that Spencer Strider walked out to the bullpen until the time that, that Matt Strom, which we'll get to, by the way, in a few minutes, through the last pitch of the game, that crowd was on fire. But again, it was Castellanos that, that kind of got things rolling with that first home run. Uh we'll talk about Harper for 50 years and we'll talk about all of these different guys. But what Nick Castellanos did this week is, is maybe up there with the, the most impressive performances of any of them over the past two postseasons. A hundred percent, Bob. And not only that, I mean, the thing that, and I remember leaning over to you last night and, and you know, he, after he hits the first home run, he goes out to the, he goes out to the field and he's acknowledging the fans in right field 
he you know after playing catch he identifies a certain fan out there that he wants to get the ball to he's applauding the fans as they applaud him he's tipping his cap and stuff like that and i'm saying to myself where did this come from like not the not that not the player right not the good not the really good offensive player we've seen that in his career that's why he signed the contract that he signed to come to philadelphia but to really become like the mayor out there like he's really and in a lot of ways you call him a philosopher right but but it's he's become one of those guys who is going to be beloved here for the rest of his life like just this season alone and you know he's a he's a must must hear interview not because he's going to give you like some fantastic soundbite although he's had a few but because he's just the personality that he is and how how uh, you know his humor is like a dry humor that he's like trying to keep you off guard with how he responds to things and like you it's a must listen to and and I'm like I, I never would have thought this from this guy like this yeah. was the biggest heel turn in in the history of of uh, of sports you know yeah. like and, and in a good way in a positive way I guess you know I say right. heel turn but you know go in a positive direction it, it's. It's utterly fascinating, but I'm all in for it because I think it's it's just great. Yeah, he is um, – I feel like somebody that – we talk about holding players and, and holding teams accountable. I, I feel like as a player, he's like, I'm going to hold these guys accountable. Like, do not come to me with some stupid-ass question. Do not come to me with some fluff. Like, you better know your stuff if you're going to ask me a question. And yeah. he's never been disrespectful, but he always just makes you, you know – I better get this one right. There's right. no, there's no stick a microphone in his face and say, talk about, you know, there's no, none of that. Uh, you hit two home runs. Can you talk about it? What was going through your head? Like you gotta, you better frame that question correctly and have some substance behind it. If you're going to ask him one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no but doubt it, about that. It's been great. I, you know, as media members, maybe we see it a little bit more, but I mean, look, I, the fans are really, really taking on to him. Right. But, but we tend to, as media feed people, we tend to flock to guys who who do push us, who do challenge us a little bit, because it's almost like, well, what's he going to say next? How's this going to work? You know, what, how far can we push it by asking him his questions in a certain way? It's just, it's really, really cool, and you know, it's great to see, and it's it's part of what makes this Phillies team tick. And I'll get. I want to get into that a little bit too, because I ended up having a very long conversation, as you know, last night with John Middleton. Um, yeah, I thought he was bringing in on the uh, the the ownership agreement. I thought dude, maybe I'd carve out a piece for you. I was the last person in the locker room with him, and Kevin Gregg, the PR guy, is like kind of standing there, and he's to his credit didn't try and stop John, didn't cr- try and prevent me from asking questions. But you could tell, like, it was like, okay, we need to wrap this up. They need to get in here, right? We need, they need to get the cleaning crew in here and everything else. Like, I, it was just me and Middleton. And uh, and we talked a lot about, like, what makes this team what it is. And John gave some great answers, which we'll we'll talk about. But I, I know you have specifics you want to get into, but uh, it was really, really cool. Yeah, well, whenever you see the opportunity to kind of weave back into that, go right ahead. Um, yeah. You, you know, again, I think we are focusing on the offense, the the player performances from from the lineup side of things. But it's easy to kind of just gloss right over the fact that Ranger Suarez gave you five innings of one run baseball again last night. And he seems to have figured something out about this Atlanta lineup. And if I am incorrect here with my math, I apologize, but I'm 
fairly certain this is correct. His last seven starts against the Braves, he's thrown a combined 35 innings. He's actually put on a decent amount of base runners. He's given up four earned runs, though. I mean, he has, uh, for, for the better part of almost two years now, really found a way to keep this Atlanta lineup in check. And when you consider the damage that this Braves lineup does against left-handed pitching, uh, it makes what he did this series uh, especially – um, all that more amazing. Uh, it's not that he pitched deep into games. It's, you know, he didn't go 21 outs, but he gave the Phillies exactly what they needed. And last night, you know, it wasn't a matter of, we were super aggressive and got him out of the game early. And we found a way to beat Spencer Strider. I mean, he recorded two less outs or two fewer outs than Spencer Strider last night. He, he matched him. He outpitched Spencer Strider last night. Uh, we keep talking about the slow heartbeat stuff. I think you sometimes roll your eyes when things get said again and again and again. But something like this gets said again and again and again because it's true. He mm -hmm. just doesn't seem to – the moment just does not seem to impact him. In fact, it, it seems like he thrives off of it. Yeah, he does um, and, and deserves a lot of credit because he went up against some guys who kill lefties and was really good against them. I mean, just really, really. He went through the lineup twice last night, gave up just the one run, and the home run, solo homer by Riley that just cleared the left field wall in the corner um, down the left field line. Um, but other than that, I mean, that was really like the only bl major blemish. Everything else, you know, yeah, he gave up some hits and and whatever, but he found his way out. He just pitched. He pitched like a champ again. He did it a lot last year, right? But this was a, this was a little bit different, Bob. I mean, what they did, and we, you and I had a, a nice conversation with Caleb Cotham after the game last night, kind of talking about pitching in general. And, and I, I don't want to be. I, I would be remiss if I didn't reiterate what he said and when he talked about how important JT Real Muto was to this entire series. And preparing for these hitters and calling, you know, the way he talked about him, JT calling the games in this series, just how good of a job he did with all the pitchers. And it's hard to it's hard to disagree with him when you when you look at how they limited the Braves. Ronald Cunha had what two hits in game three, and that's it in, yeah. in a four game series. Didn't do anything. Matt Olson didn't have an RBI. Matt Olson had a what 130 RBIs this year, something along those lines, some ridiculous home number. Runs. 54 yeah. home runs did not have one RBI in the series. They shut down the big bats of the Braves. I mean, you got two home runs to Riley, one home run to Travis Darno, and one run scored on a on an error by Trey Turner. I mean, yeah. that, that, that's it, really. I mean, the other stuff was you know there was an there was a, a you know a run scored late in Game Three it was what 10, 10 to one at that point, and they got another run. Okay, great. But we're talking about when the games were competitive. That's yeah. all they gave up in four games. It's hard to knock it, you know, knock them when, you know, we're sitting there questioning bullpen decisions. We're sitting there wondering why you're pulling Ranger Suarez in game two or game one when they pulled them, um, this, that, and the other. But everything that they did, they were freaking Midas, man. They touched it and it turned to gold. Yeah. And that was... Yeah, yeah, gotta give give the the give credit when it's due, and they they had a, a plan that worked to perfection against the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, they sure did. And just to kind of put a bell on that thought, I mean, the, the Braves here in the regular season in eight seventy one team OPS against left handed pitching. 
The next best team against lefties this season was the Houston Astros with an 809 OPS. It's not just Mm -hmm. that Atlanta was the best team. It's that they were far and away the best team against left-handed pitching. And not only does Ranger Suarez go out and pitch five innings of one-run baseball, but it's Matt Strom in the ninth that closes the door on it. And that's, I think, a perfect segue from what you were just saying, which is, Everything that this team touched from a strategical standpoint in this series, it did turn to gold. I mean, listen, I know that they got Hoffman late. I know that, that you know, you could have criticized. Some people did. We did not. I don't get this. The, the, the criticism of leaving Zach Wheeler in, in the seventh inning of game two, I think that that was nonsense. I, I, to me, that kind of goes back to something I've said on this show throughout the years, which is when things go wrong, People want to just point to the coach, point to the manager. It's just the easiest thing to kind of default to. And sometimes those criticisms are warranted. Go back to game six of the World Series last year. They took out Zach Wheeler, I thought, prematurely in that game. It burned them. I think that in that moment, you could really criticize what you were watching. Uh, This series, though, they did things where we looked at one another and like, I don't get this. I mean, you're a big bullpen guy. Like you love lineup construction. You love like the flow of the bullpen. I'm trying to write a 1300 word story and you're trying to guess the next, the, the next move in the bullpen. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Just get the outs. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like, because, because I'm like, I'm trying to get this thing published and you're, you're doing what you do. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Strom, Alvarado, who gives a shit? Just get them out. You know? Yeah. So, but it, it was crazy. I mean, I for the life of me, if you said, here you go, here's a lead going into the late innings, into the sixth inning and behind, you're, we're going to give you Sir Anthony Dominguez to Jose Alvarado in the sixth with an up-down in between to who was it after that? Who did Kimbrel. Yeah, Kimbrel, right, with an up-down in between and a an old-time hold-your-breath moment against Ronald Acuna. And he comes back out and he gets two more outs in the following inning to Gregory Soto, to Matt Strom. I mean, are you And it was an up-down for Soto, too. They did up-down for three do. guys. <laughs> things that these guys don't do. Soto's yeah. not a big up-down guy. Kimbrel's certainly not a big up-down guy. And Kimbrel hadn't pitched in the seventh inning or earlier since May 1st. Yeah. You know, he had one, one garbage time appearance at the end of September. I guess it was the Mets where he came in in the seventh inning. Other than that, Craig Kimbrell didn't sniff a seventh inning at all this season. They yeah. were just – and, you know, Caleb Cotham said after the game, like, we, we tried to, you know, prepare these guys and put them in situations that, you know, at some point give them the experience to know, hey, I can do this. But, like, if we're being honest – there were some things that were well outside the, the comfort zone, I would think, for some of these guys last night. But credit to them. They performed. Yeah. And, and, and you no, know, Rob answered that. Rob Thompson answered the question when he was asked um, about how these guys were deployed and, and why, you know, why go to Alvarado when he went to him and Kimbrell in the seventh? Why go to them early? And he said, listen, he said, that's where their best guys were coming up in their lineup. We wanted our best guys on their best guys at, at a time when the game was in the balance and we'd figure out the rest later. And yeah. you asked Caleb about this. You actually, you said, I mean, was this the plan like coming in? <laughs> and he kind of laughed and said, you know, we had multiple plans. Well, we thought multiple, you know, possibilities. If this happens and then this, if this happens and then that. But I think that they were, that they were kind of surprised even themselves that they're like, all right, well, we're going to match Strom to close out the division series to get the save in the division series. And I asked Strom about it during the celebration. It was loud as hell. 
it's kind of hard hard to hear but we i got the got the answer from him went to the question it was just like i was i was a foot behind you and i might yeah. as well have been in pittsburgh it like yeah it was that loud you couldn't there. hear a thing um and i asked i said could you ever have imagined when you're starting games for this team in april because there's no starters. There's no pitching staff at that of any thought. Pro- I mean, Suarez was out, and they didn't have a number five starter. I mean, you you started the season with Matt Strom and Bailey Falter in this rotation. Okay, did you ever think then? Um, yeah, I'm going to be called on to shut out the Atlanta Braves in in the final game of the of the division series. Like, and he's like, no, but this is all you dream about. He says, I can't tell you how many times. I was pitching to my brother as a kid where it was three, two count bottom of the ninth in the world series. And that, and that was me on the mound. He says, it's all I used to dream about all I used to think about. And here I am called into that moment kind of unexpectedly. He says, he says, yeah, we know that there are certain pockets in the lineup that we're geared toward, but we don't know until that phone rings, like whose turn it is. And it wasn't until you know we got that call in the in you know, early in the ninth for me to get up and go. And it's like, all right, I knew it was, he said I knew it was either me or Hoffman in that point. And he says, and I expect he says I don't know for certain, but I expect that if Acuna got up and Acuna was on deck, that Hoffman was going to come in for for Acuna. So mm-hmm. he knew it was probably a three batter setup for him. And dude went out and got the three outs. Yeah, truly amazing. Uh, yeah. I mean. This- <laughs> You know, it's 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 easy to say it now and be like, wow, it was all great. But I mean, Gregory Soto put them in a very difficult spot in the ninth inning, runners at the corners, nobody out. And you're thinking, okay, you know, this is the Braves team that we're we we saw this in game two. You're winning the game, you should win the game. And then they're at all times one swing away from being able to to undo everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, for him to be able to come in and get those three outs was was truly amazing. And a good moment uh, after the game, after the the, the first burst of cel- celebration, I guess we'll say, uh, Dave Dombrowski was getting ready to talk to reporters outside of the clubhouse. There, you were talking to, you were in that scrum with John Middleton, and Dombrowski was about ten feet away with another group of reporters, and he actually stopped. Strom, I guess, had excused himself or was coming back into the clubhouse. I don't know, but he too was outside in that hallway tunnel area, and uh, Dombrowski was like, "Hold on, guys," and he went over to, to Strom. Gave him a big hug uh, and said, like, dude, like, you know, I'll paraphrase, but like, you were unbelievable. Like, you're the man. Uh, and, you know, and Strom's like, this is why I wanted to come here. And I mean, it was a really, it was a cool moment. And one of the, the things, because, um, you know, like, I always focus on like, what happens next? I don't know that the Phillies are going to necessarily want to repeat that exact path through 27 outs again. And I, I don't think they will. But when you get, deeper into a bullpen when you start to rely on more than just the same two or three guys like you talk about like the feel of the clubhouse and if they went out and threw shutout 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 complete game complete game complete game I think everybody would have been just as happy everyone would have celebrated it the same but when you involve that many people and you have that many different pitchers make that type of contribution I think that that does a lot from a, from a confidence perspective. Like if you're Matt Strom right now, you're like, okay, I just nailed down the final outs of the NLDS against the Atlanta Braves. Like that's, that's huge. Craig Kimbrell coming in and, and, and Hey, listen, it was, it was tough to watch in real time, but he's got to feel pretty good about himself right now. Um, You know, it was a team effort. I guess this is all just a way of saying like, 
pretty much everybody on that roster that played in that series in some capacity contributed to what happened. There were a couple guys that did struggle and we'll, we'll get to that in a moment, but this, this was like a, like, look at the depth of this team. It was, it was so many different guys that, that played a part in it. Yeah. And this kind of, it, it's nice. Um, and you don't even know you were doing this, but it was a nice segue back to my conversation with Middleton because I, I asked him a question. This is where one of the things we were having a, a long conversation about is that I said, you know, John, when you look at around baseball and, and while the Phillies, Astros and, and Rangers, who are three of the final four teams, are top 10 um, salary teams, there's a lot of high salary teams who who didn't do well this year. I mean, the top three didn't make the playoffs at all. And the fourth, the Dodgers got in but didn't win a game. Um, and there are a couple others in the top 10 who just, you know, barely made an appearance or, or didn't make it. And I said, what is it about this Phillies team that when you have that kind of salary in this clubhouse that they succeed when others can't? And he credited Dombrowski, but he said he credited it from this perspective. He said, Look, Dave's the leader of it, but when we go to sign a player or trade for a player, we I can't even stress how much we put into learning about that player's character before we ever make that contract offer. And, and we call so many people and find out so much about them. And he talked about Bryce Harper being a, a big part of it and how Harper knows that you know a, a certain player will fit into the culture and 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 has that is selfless and wants to just win and put team first um and will go to all lengths to be that bought into this to this kind of approach um and and John said Dombrowski is fantastic at identifying that element the character element so you know he says you know you can put together all the great talents in the sport but if they don't have the right character, if they don't mesh well together, if they don't buy into the concept of a team, and look, we talked about the failings of the San Diego Padres, as talented as they are, there was there was a disconnect in that clubhouse, right? And that's what kind of ultimately hurt them. You don't have that here because of the buy-in of to the team first. You, you can look around baseball, and for the most part, there's nobody at the top of a leaderboard or close to the top of a leaderboard in any statistical category this year in baseball a couple of small ones here and there but for the most part not there right and yet here they are for the second year in a row in the national league championship series and possibly to the world series that's indicative of the people who and the team concept that is put together by this group of 26 players and and uh, put together at the top by dave dombrowski and the and all the executives of this of this team it's it's a fascinating story. They do things unconventionally, but they but at the same time they do things in a way that kind of make you think this is outside the glitz and glamour of sports today. This is the way probably things were done back in the 1950s, for example, like yeah. as far as putting teams together, right? Um and it matters. It matters a lot. And and that's that when you talk about we talk about mojo and talk about vibes and things along those lines, this is all part of that. There's no question about it. I mean, you think about what a baseball season really is. And 
just go back and, and look at our, our run of, of shows and some of the things that we had to talk about and some of the series that this team played and just how long of a season it really is. Like go back and open up the schedule and just look at some of the game by game. You'll say, like, I remember that game. Like, oh, my God, that feels like it was a different season. And that's what I find so impressive about these guys, like the slow starts, overcoming it. OK, but this year it really, you know, I think we said this it was always about October and if they knew once they, they got there that they could compete. There's one thing to, to believe that or think that about yourself. There's another thing to be said for actually doing it. Like it's, it's, they get to this spot and like their ability to rise to the moment, their ability to play. And, 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 you know, listen, they should have beat the Marlins. We're not going to sit here and act like that was some monumental achievement or anything. But the fact is, is that they played good baseball in that series. They, they won the series when a lot of other teams that, that were better than them during the regular season didn't win those series. Right. And then you get to this brave series and like the ability to elevate beyond their talent and pretty much embarrass them. Like, and it was very similar to what happened last postseason. It, you know, four games, win game one, three and four, lose two. But like, it was domination again. And like, for this team to be able to, it's not even flipping the switch. It's to just elevate to a, to a degree that you almost don't see the entire season and play their best at this point. It's just so impressive to watch. And you talk about vibes and, you know, it, how this is like all sort of come together. I just, I don't know if there's conversations after games. I don't know if there's group text messages. I don't know if there's constant grinding in, in BP. I don't know what, like, I don't know how the hell these guys do this, but they do it. Like I tweeted out sometime in the middle of, of April, the Phillies got down almost immediately, like four and a half games behind the Braves. I said, you know, listen, I know that they beat these guys last postseason, which was awesome. And like credit to them for doing it. But like, this is not a sustainable way to get to where you want to go. Like you can't just concede the division by two weeks every season. And maybe you can, maybe this team can like, I, I go ahead, win 88 games next year. I guess it doesn't even matter anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, and this will tell you I, a little bit, but before the game yesterday, Bryson Stott was the one of the guys who was interviewed in the you know pregame uh, media room, and he gets a question about you know, hey, what's what's it like in the clubhouse right now? You guys all kind of you know talking and focused in, and you know, hey, we just get that one more win and we beat this beat the Braves, you know, blah blah blah. Stott's like. Yeah, we're not doing anything different than usual. We're in there shooting hoops. We're playing dominoes. We're playing ping pong, putt, you know, putting on the on the golfing on the uh, putting green that they have in there. And like they're just being guys. They're just hanging out. They're, you know, whatever. And Rob talks about it all the time, saying this team knows how to have fun, but they also know how not to, you know, push that too far either. They know when it's time to work, it's time to work, but they're loose because they know how to have fun as well. And I think that, that that tells you a lot about them, that they're not sitting there thinking, you know, in silence and listening to their music and getting themselves pumped up for, oh, you got to play the Braves, got to beat the Braves. They're out there just being guys, having a good time and saying, all right, it's time to go play baseball. And and they enjoy it. And that's there's, there's something to be said for that, Bob. It really is. It, it's an intangible that, you know, you can never measure, but it's but it's unbelievably important. What do you think the Braves mentality was coming into this series? Do you think that they felt like there's just no way this can happen again? 
Or yeah. do you think that there was a genuine, we played these guys all season. We know how good they can be. Like, do you think that they were scared coming into this series? Or do you think, because listen, I don't think it mattered. Like, I don't think that their mindset truly mattered. I think the Phillies were going to just beat them anyway. But do you think that there was like a taking them lightly element? Do you think that there was a this just can't happen again element? Like, what do you think they were feeling? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think there was to take them lightly, but I think that the Braves came in with a lot of bravado um, in, in the sense that this was our revenge tour. We blew through the regular season. We ran away with this division it, it, right away. The Phillies were never in it. We we made sure of that. We won the division in their ballpark. Like I feel like that it was a different kind of feel coming in. Um, and I think it, I think you know then after they come back in game two, they maybe get a surprise a little bit in game one, but they come back and win the game in game two. And it was almost like the way they were celebrating in their locker room, of course, a lot was made of that, right with you know with the Arcia thing. But um, the way they were celebrating in their locker room, it was almost like that they felt, hey, guess what, guys? You know, they should have had us. They they had us. They didn't, and they let us back. They should never have let us back. We're going to go up there. We're going to win this series now. And then they got into the environment. They got into the jungle, and it just could it with the it just it snowballed on them. It was an avalanche coming right at them, and they were like, "Oh shit, here we go again. This yeah. team's doing it again." And I think that. I think that the Phillies got in their heads once they got back up here to Philly. And it was just like, just to respond. I mean, look, we, we, the, they, they like to make pretend that they don't let the stuff bother them. Right. And, and yet we walk into that clubhouse and Orion Kirkering's wearing an attaboy Harper t-shirt. Right. <laughs> um, with, with a phrase on the back, like he wasn't supposed to hear it. Right. I mean, like, like, like those t-shirt, how many of those do you think you're going to see next week? <laughs> All right. yeah, I mean, Unbelievable. Right. And I even said, yes, like, we got to get that picture up. <laughs> That's so good. Um, and then, you know, then you can see the video. I don't know if you've seen it, but like you've seen the video when they're singing, singing, um, uh their their songs and and they start you know they're saying you know fuck the bravos and yeah. whoever we play next and uh, always and the Mets. Yeah. yeah like it's i mean it's that's the, the kind of thing like they pay attention to all of this they there's the ch there's a lot of chirping that doesn't get reported about um but they pay attention to every little thing and they use it to motivate them and they have fun doing it and that's that's what makes them so perfect for this city it just really does it's it's next level stuff um and real quick i want to because i know we got to wrap this up here because I'm, I'm getting texts from russ i gotta go do snow the goalie right? it's hockey I mean, so, season. It's the hockey whole city is dialed in on the flyers yeah dialed in on the flyers i i gotta go talk about a game i watched not one second of um but uh um i know we real quick want to do this because um we'll do the full preview of the diamondbacks on monday prior to game one but there were two players, I think, that should have been a little bit of concern with how, how they've looked so far in the playoffs. And they're currently in the top half of the batting order. So I, I think that that's something that the Phillies are going to have to get right if they want to get eight more wins and, and take this thing home. Yeah, it's tough when two of your first four hitters really give you pretty much nothing. Uh, Kyle Schwarber, who uh, I, I'm trying to take the, the optimistic look at this and say, like, we know what he is. We know that he can be a big game player. He's delivered on the big stage before. And you know that he can go through runs of games where he just doesn't look comfortable. And then he can just go off 
for three or four games. And you're hoping now after two series where he did not make that typical Kyle Schwarber impact that they've hung around long enough that he can get going because, you know, he just really, and I'm, I'm actually like just buying myself a moment here to get to it, but I'm looking at this and he was in this series, uh, two for 17 against the Braves and he's four for 25 this postseason now. And it's not like he's striking out a ton either. He's just kind of like a lot of weak contact, a lot of rolling over. Uh, he just hasn't made an impact. And then now boom looked completely overmatched last night, which is, you know, not a totally ridiculous thing to say against the Spencer Strider, but that game could have gotten away from them last night. They had a lot of opportunities early on. They had at least two runners on base each of the first three innings. Uh, he had an opportunity runners at first and third with one out to drive in a run with a fly ball. He swung at a first pitch slider outside of the strike zone, popped out the second base. Like Alec Boehm is really good in terms of his approach and knowing how to work in a bat. And he's great with runners in scoring position. He's a guy that you should feel good about uh, in that type of situation. And he just, he wasn't last night and he, he, too, has not been particularly good uh, this postseason. I believe he's four for 21 now. So they need those guys to get going because while I believe that the Phillies are going to go to the World Series and I think they're going to win it, I uh, I just don't see a scenario where they can survive, keep surviving that unless Nick Castellanos wants to hit two home runs per game, then I guess they can. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and you know, it was it was – it was so frustrating because we saw like we would predict what was happening with those guys last night. Like you could tell. I mean, it's just they're just we even said it on on the moment bat, like just put the ball in the air. And he did, but it was a stupid ass pop up to second base. I mean, that yeah. was not what we meant. We meant get the ball to the outfield kind of thing. And then yeah. I thought, well, at least it wasn't a double play. And then the next at bat, he hit the <laughs> three hopper to third base. Yeah, exactly. So I mean that that's the kind of thing. It's like you know when a guy's going bad when you can predict almost to a T exactly what's going to happen in that at bat. Yeah, you, you want to see them be better with runners in scoring position in general. They were two for eight in game two. Uh, I know they went off in game three. They got the job done in game four, but three solo home runs. They, they had opportunities to break that game open and really separate themselves a few times against Strider. I believe for the night they were 0 for 6 with nine runners left on base. I'm actually not looking at that right now, but I believe that's what I saw late. Well, last there was night. definitely nine left on base because I keep that book, right? So, yeah. but I didn't check the, uh, I didn't yeah, check I the, they were 0 for 6. But, uh, you know, yeah. and hey, one thing I'll say as a, as a finishing thought, uh, one, one tip of the cap I will give to the Braves is Michael Harris in, in center field. Yeah. Uh, that series would have been over before last night if it were not for him. And, uh, if they would have gone on to win that game last night, it would have been because of him, because that play that he made on Johan Rojas uh, early on, I believe in the third inning to turn that double play to the third or the second, the second inning, I believe. Second inning, uh, yeah. Just a truly remarkable play. Uh, terrific defensive center fielder. And speaking of terrific defensive center fielders, Johan Rojas, man, like that, that, that game was over. They lose that game. If he doesn't track that baseball down. And he took a little bit of a weird route to it, but man, like the closing speed to go get it at the end. I don't know that, that anybody else on the roster makes that play. And man, he bailed out Craig Kimbrell last night, big time. Another, another great John um, Middleton comment during about Rojas when we were talking. And he said, you know, I was talking to Gary Maddox. Um, <laughs> I think it was at alumni weekend. I think it's when he said it was, um, I have to go back and listen to the recording. And he said, you know, I told Gary, I said, you were the greatest defensive center fielder I ever watched play the game. He said, but the kid we have now, 
He says, I don't know if I don't know if he'll hit like you, but defensively in center field, he might be as good as you were. <laughs> Gary's like, yeah, man, just and Gary, apparently John said John said Maddox was like after watching him said I kind of agree like how how well he plays out there. So I mean, so it's an interesting like weird conversation that has nothing to do with the, with the game, but you know that that's what Middleton was sharing and he was saying like you know I was talking to the best center fielder of my childhood and you know John was seventeen I guess when when you know those guys started to come into the league. Uh, he talked about that. He said I think he said he was seventeen when Schmidt um, debuted. So uh, not really childhood I guess, but you know young man um, when those guys were getting into their prominence. And and he's you know, Gary Maddox was his his guy defensively in center field and has not seen one since that plays the position like that. But said Johan Rojas can do it, and that's a heck of a it's a heck of a play to you know against Acuna at a time where if he doesn't get to that ball, boy that could have that could things could have gone off the rails quickly there for the Phillies. That was another moment you talked about the you talked about the ninth inning being kind of like uh oh that that was an uh oh situation sure. bases loaded against Acuna and he did it yeah. so yeah I I thought it was gonna fall I did I said uh oh you know? yeah. yeah uh so hey great play all right well listen uh we'll be back on Monday before game one of the National League Championship Series at Citizens Bank Park against the Arizona Diamondbacks how about that that's not a sentence I thought I'd be saying about a week ago that's not uh, a sentence I thought would be said at all this year yeah, I mean really yeah. think about that I mean the Diamondbacks and the Phillies and the NLCS uh, no one had that one no one predicted that and yet yet here we are here we are all right well for anthony sanfilippo and bob wankel you can follow anthony on uh, twitter at and sam philly you can follow me at bob underscore wankel make sure that you're checking out crossed up anywhere that you get your shows on youtube spotify apple podcast all that good stuff uh, be sure to check out Anthony at crossingbroad.com. I'm also there as well. And you can also subscribe to a free Phillies daily newsletter Monday through Friday in your inbox by, I don't know, we'll say about 10 these days. These shows are jamming me up, Anthony. Uh, <laughs> it's free. You can go to redoctoberphilly.com to subscribe. And we will talk to you next week.